Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I look forward to chatting with many uh, more of you over morning tea or pre-lunch, if that's what you call it, um, and uh, getting to know many more of you better next year. But let's pray together again, please, briefly, before we come to look at this passage. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us today in your word, that you'd reveal yourself to us. Please, by your spirit, enable me to speak faithfully. Uh, Help us all to listen, to see more of your glory in the gospel, and to be changed. So work in us, we pray. In the name of our Saviour Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, when you think of glory, what do you think of? What do you think of? Maybe getting the top mark in your exams. Maybe it's your football team winning the grand final. Or maybe it's the memorable things people will say of you at your funeral. The Oxford Dictionary defines glory in various ways. It can speak of the honour that you achieve for something. It can speak of the praise or the worship that we give to someone like God. But can also refer to magnificence or great beauty. And that's the track we're thinking about today, magnificence. Great beauty. Have you experienced glory? Have you experienced in your life something magnificent? Do you believe that in Christ you experience the magnificent? I want want us all to experience the glory and magnificence of Christ today, and so I hope you'll listen. In this letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to a challenging church that has challenged his authority. Paul has endured hardships and he said back at the start of chapter 1 that God has comforted him and enabled him to comfort others. He has said that in my ministry I have been honest and faithful. Some have questioned that and he asserts, he maintains that he's been honest and faithful. And at the end of chapter 2, the start of chapter 3, he's explained that when it comes to people being saved, God is sovereign. God rules over that. And yet we are still to speak to people and we are still to pray for people because God works through us, his people. God uses us to help others come to Jesus too. And the theme of evangelism continues in our passage and we'll come to that soon but if you look at chapter 3 verse 6 Paul declared that God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter of but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life and now Paul in our passage he elaborates on this theme of covenants the old versus the new covenant. And what we learn is that there is greater glory in the new covenant. It's our first point. In the Corinthian church, there's uh, been some false teachers who've come to the church and they've promoted a a back to Moses program. You're promoting at the moment uh, mission-minded breakfasts and Uh, Bundy Blokes Nights, but there were leaders in the church who are promoting uh, a program of let's go back to the Old Testament law, let's go back to Moses, let's go back to the Old Covenants. And so Paul now says, let me tell you why that's not a good thing. He wants to contrast the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and help them know why they're better off now. 
So he says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, if that came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Paul is saying that the old covenant brought death. It brought death. It was not intended to bring death, but it couldn't save. The Ten Commandments, they were engraved. The letters of those words were engraved on tablets of stone by God, but those commandments couldn't save. Obeying the Ten Commandments couldn't save. The covenant God made with the Israelites through Moses at Mount Sinai, it couldn't save. And what we read of in Exodus 24 is that Moses spoke all the words of God, the law of God to all the Israelites. And we didn't read this first, but it actually says in that chapter, it has, records the people saying, we will do everything the Lord has commanded us. They promised to do everything, to obey everything. We will obey, they said. Yet Moses didn't obey at all. The Israelites didn't obey at all. The Jews in Jesus' day did not obey all the commandments. And you and I haven't done it either. We've all fallen short. None of us have obeyed all of God's commands all of the time. And none of us can obey God and receive eternal life and relationship with God that way. God will not accept us on the basis of our obedience because we're never perfectly obedient. We can never be find acceptance with God on the basis of our performance. You see, the laws were good. They were true. What they end up doing is convicting us of our sin and where we fall short. They couldn't save people. And trying to obey God by law-keeping and obedience, it only ends in death. So it's a ministry of death. And that's why the new covenant is better. It's why being members of the new covenant is better. Paul says in verse 9, the new covenant brings righteousness. That means this new covenant that Jesus brings, it enables people to have a right relationship with God. It enables us to find acceptance by God. And only the new covenant that Christ established by his blood, that's by his death, only that enables you and I to be forgiven and accepted by God. Only faith in the Jesus of the new covenant saves. Only he saves. And so the glory of the new covenant is greater. The glory is greater. I mentioned earlier that glory can refer to magnificence or beauty. And the Greek word here, in this context, it can refer to magnificence, beauty, but it also carries with it the idea of brightness or shining. And a writer many years ago, Jonathan Edwards, he said, glory is the outshining of internal excellence. So may we say the glory of God is the outshining of his internal excellence. And this outshining of glory, the Israelites on Mount Sinai, they, they saw a glimpse of it. They saw something of it. 
the cloud and the glory of God settled on Mount Sinai and Moses went up to the top of the mountain to meet with God and speak with God. And we read earlier, didn't we, of, in Exodus 34 of how Moses came down from the mountain leaving the presence of God and his face shone with brightness. His face was radiant with glory. And it seems that people were afraid to look at this. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. His glory faded. And the fading glory of Moses' face, it's actually, a, Paul is saying, it's a symbol of the fading glory and temporary nature of the old covenant. Paul says two things about the new covenant. He says the glory is greater and its glory doesn't fade. He says in verse 8 that the ministry of the Spirit is even more glorious. Under the new covenant, the Son of God himself comes to earth, born as a man. Lives this perfect life of obedience. He dies a death that he never deserves. But in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he reveals God to the world. He reveals God in a far greater way. He, that Christ revealed God more fully, and so the glory was greater. So can we compare the glory of the old covenant with the new? It's like trying to compare the, the light of a 40-watt light bulb with the sun. One of those two things you can't stare at. The splendor and the radiance of our sun is far surpassing. It's glorious. And under the new covenant, the Son of God himself, he came to live for us, the perfect life for us. He came to die for us, to save sinners. And because of his finished work, we get to experience full forgiveness, real forgiveness, forever forgiveness. And we also get the Holy Spirit working in us. So the new covenant brings this right relationship with God, this righteousness, in a way that the old couldn't. Glory of the new covenant is greater. The old covenant with its signs and symbols that pointed forward to Jesus, but itself couldn't save. And so Paul will say in a couple of chapters' time, in chapter 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, he says there, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God. We're only counted righteous because of Jesus. The magnificence, the brilliance, the glory of the new covenant is greater. And this glory, it doesn't fade either. Paul tells us that the radiance on Moses' face, it faded over time, and so he put a veil over his face. But from that, he makes the point, the glory, the glory and blessings of the new covenant, they are not transitory, they, they never fade. The old covenant was designed to be temporary. The latest iPhone, the latest Samsung Galaxy, they will soon be superseded. You'll feel the need to, for them to be upgraded. The new covenant won't ever be upgraded. It can never be superseded. The new covenant has superseded the old and it will never need upgrading. 
And like that, our, our experience of glory that we get through Jesus under the new covenant, it will never fade. We will never lose it. It will only be greater in heaven. How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? And so the, the light bulb in your home, that 40-watt light bulb, that, that will soon need changing. Its glory will fade and end. One day our sun will stop shining. But the glory that we get to experience through Jesus, that we get a taste of now, that will last. Glory of the new covenant lasts. Sometimes I hear older people speak of the good old days, and maybe even with a longing, a desire to go back to the good old days. And I understand that bit decades back, morals were purer and life was quieter and the average person was a churchgoer. Maybe you long to go back. But when it comes to salvation history, we are better off living now. We are better off living now. In some in Paul's day in that church in Corinth, some wanted to go back. Go back to the good old days of Moses. I hope you don't want to go back. We're better off living now, this side of the cross, because through Christ and through faith and trust in him, we get to experience glory. Yes, old covenant believers, Old Testament Israelites, they were saved. Saved through believing God's promises. But they're only effectively saved through Christ, who was to come, who is, has come, the Christ of the new covenant. And so history is really divided into two halves. Our calendar seeks to communicate that. There is before Christ and there is after the coming of Christ. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Christ changes everything. And because the new covenant brings greater glory and because it really saves, we can have greater boldness. And greater boldness is our next point. In verse 12, we read, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. What is it that you hope for? What is it that we hope for? Isn't our hope in this forever relationship of peace with God? Forgiveness of sin and being freed from condemnation and judgment and experiencing this incomparable glory in heaven forever. That is our hope. That's what we wait for. And when we remember these blessings, it makes us bold. It makes us bold. Very bold in the original. It describes great boldness in your speech. And it means being completely open with people and hiding nothing. Hiding nothing. Paul is not ashamed to speak the gospel to people. He's not ashamed to be completely open with people about Jesus. He's not ashamed and we should not be ashamed. Christ is the only saviour. It's the only way to God. It's not a message that everyone wants to hear. It's a message that will offend people. But knowing Jesus gives us boldness. Paul's point is Moses couldn't be completely open with people. 
He covered his face with a veil. He put a veil over his face. But it wasn't only Moses who had a veil, we're told. In verse 14, we learn that a spiritual veil remains over the hearts and minds of Jews as they read the Old Testament. In the Old Covenant, the Old Testament that we read, we realise that most Israelites had hard and unbelieving hearts. And that veil, that spiritual blindness meant that they couldn't see that the Old Testament pointed forward to Jesus and was fulfilled in Jesus when he arrived. They couldn't see the truth. Most Jews in Jesus' day did not see and could not see that the Old Testament finds its fulfilment in him, in Jesus. And we're told in our passage that only in Christ is that veil taken away. Only when the the Spirit changes our hearts and we're joined to Jesus by faith, only then do we see clearly. I presume most of you know that Paul used to be called Saul. Do you remember what happened to him on that road to Damascus? Remember how he thought the followers of Jesus were followers of a cult and that these Christians were pulling people away from the truth about God? You remember how Christ, the risen living Christ, appeared to him in glory. And after a period of blindness, Saul had his blind eyes opened. And only when he accepted that Christ was Lord and Saviour, only then did he understand the Old Testament properly. Only then did he understand the Old Testament clearly. And what this means for you and I is, if, it means that if you have not trusted in Christ and come under his rule, then you do not believe the truth. And you're still blind. If you've not come to Christ and put your faith and trust in him, then a veil still covers your heart and your mind. You cannot see the truth for what it is. But if the veil's been taken away, And you have seen and you have believed the truth. And in the words of verse 17, we've been given the spirit on top of this. The spirit has set us free. So in Christ and by the working of the Holy Spirit, we've been set free from the punishment for sin. We've been set free also from having sin as our master. For the Christian, sin is no longer our master. And what flows from this, if we've been set free we will want to see others set free too. That's what gives us boldness. So coming back to verse 12, because we know Christ, because we have eternal hope, we are very bold. If we know what Christ has done for us, if we know that he has set us free, if we know that we once were blind and now we see, we will want others to come to see too. We want others to be set free like we've been set free. Won't we? Won't we want that? We might be scared of people's reactions when it comes to talking about Jesus, especially in our day and time. We might be scared of their rejection of us personally or online. And yet this passage is saying that 
If Christ has changed us, it will give us a boldness that means we speak of him still. Gentleness and respect. We might not feel that we have all the answers, but we will boldly speak of how Christ has changed our lives. You see, being changed by Christ, it gives us boldness. Boldness for Paul and boldness for us. And you and I, we may not feel bold, but we can be bold. And if you're not bold, and you're not willing to be bold in any way, then I encourage you to take a step back and reflect again about on what God has done for you in Christ in the new covenant. Everything he's given you. I think all of us are Scrooges at heart. Like Scrooge. All of us are bent in on ourselves. And the only thing strong enough to truly change us and break our hearts is that we be swept up in a vision of cosmic proportions. And so we don't need to try harder with evangelism. I'm not urging you to try harder. Rather, what we need is to be shaken, be moved. Because if we have seen the glory of Jesus, if he has changed our lives, then we will want to praise him and we will want to share of him. Because what has changed us, what we have experienced, what we enjoy and what we praise, we will want to share of with others. If we have seen the glory of God in Jesus, we will want to praise. When you get your latest phone or gadget, you enjoy it and you might tell others about it. When your footy team wins the grand final, you enjoy that. I've had many Richmond fans I know uh, enjoying their team's win, praising their team, sharing about that with others. We, what we praise, we will share. And really all missions and all sharing or witnessing, the non-begrudging kind, stems from a, a, flows from a vision of glory. And so experiencing the blessings and glory of the new covenant, it results in greater boldness in us. A greater boldness than we ever had before. Our final point comes from verse 18, and it's greater glory in us. Paul had just said in verse 17 that the, through this united work of the, the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, people are set free. Remember that being set free is about being set free from the punishment of sin and the power of sin in our lives one day in heaven we will be set free from sin's presence too but that's something we must wait for but now we are set free from sin's punishment and sin's power and this means that Christians can keep the law we can obey God it won't be perfect but it will be genuine by the spirit we can obey God and that's why Paul says in verse 18, we will be changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus and we will reflect his glory. And so this is saying in Christ, we get an experience of glory and it changes us 
from the inside out so that we begin to reflect the glory of God to others, the likeness of God to others. And so as we grow in godliness, we grow more Christ-like and his glory is revealed in us. The point is through Christ in the new covenant, God's glory is revealed in his people. And if Christ is in you and his spirit is in you, then you are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. What does that mean for you and I? I think it means we'll bear the fruit of the spirit. We're growing as people, growing and showing more love and joy and peace, patience and gentleness. We, We will care about the downtrodden like Jesus did. We will shine out to those around us something of and more and more of who Jesus is. We will live to glorify God. I think the key question though is how do we change? How do we change? How do we express this glory of God to others? I think partly change comes when we remember that the, the glory of fading and fleeting things, other things they don't really satisfy. So we need to tell ourselves that money isn't secure enough. Sex is not thrilling enough. Entertainment isn't impressive enough. Music isn't interesting enough. People are not reliable enough. The world isn't good enough. Matt Popper has written an excellent book. If we could have the next slide up, please. Uh, Look and live. Behold the soul-thrilling, sin-destroying glory of Christ. I commend it to you. He says in that book, I quote, We were created by God and for God. And until we understand that, we are restless, broken-hearted glory chasers, always seeking something more. Only God is finally enough. We live for sex, money, fame. We worship in sports stadiums and stand bored in church. We dink around on our iPads more than we pray. And when we live like this, when we have our entire lives like this, and then we sit down to open our Bibles, what happens? We read our Bibles and we say, I don't get it. But as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we need to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We need to be changed by a vision of glory. If you look at verse 18, the word behold is used. It literally says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory into another. Beholding is more than looking. Beholding is meditating, savouring, marinating, examining. We look at a light bulb We behold a sunset. We we look at a website. We behold a Rembrandt. 
Beholding is more than looking. And as we continually behold the glory of God in the gospel, we get transformed. It changes us. Beholding is the kind of looking that changes us. But it's not easy. In terms of how we change, verse 18 doesn't say that when we see this glory of the Lord, we will want to change, although that is true. It doesn't say we will begin to desire a changed life. It's more than that. We are being transformed on the spot, changed right here. And that is the power of the gospel. That's the glory of God in the face of Christ. Or in Matt Popper's words, it's a thing so spectacular, so breathtaking, so wonderful, so powerful, that we are fundamentally rewired as we encounter it. We become something else. Christianity is not firstly a call to behave, but to believe. It is firstly a call to see Jesus. When Zacchaeus first met Jesus, he was wealthy and he was not liked by people. But after encountering Jesus, you remember what he said? He said, behold, Lord, half my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus is repenting. He is changing. And so the question is, how do we get unstuck Unaddicted. How do we grow? We don't just do better. We don't just do more and try harder. Papa helpfully says, we worship our way into sin and we must worship our way out. The idols of the heart, they're not just removed, they've got to be replaced, displaced, eclipsed. You might say, you might say, no, Clinton, that's, that's not true. I don't enjoy going to school. I don't enjoy going to work. I'm not going to enjoy getting up early tomorrow morning. I want to say, oh, but you do, though. You do enjoy going to work because you enjoy making money and living comfortably more than you enjoy a little extra sleep. And you enjoy having a home more than being homeless. And so off to work you go. You always do what you desire most to do. And so we forsake pleasures only for pleasures that are greater. And so how does a boy who's addicted to video games break his habit? Some find a greater pleasure and become addicted to their career and to making money. But what the boy needs to do is something greater still. He needs greater glory. He needs the glory of Jesus. And so if you want to see glory, you can look at a sunset. But if you really want to see glory, I encourage you and urge you to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So I ask, are you addicted to something? Are you anxious? Are you unhappy? Or are you still fighting that sin that you've been fighting for years? 
And are you exhausted from trying harder? Are you exhausted from religion and doing stuff? I don't call you to work or strive, but to simply lift your eyes and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need to gaze deep into the gospel and not merely pray some prayer and move on. And yet Jesus is not just some 40-watt light bulb. He's polarizing. He demands everything. God once, once asked Abraham to give him what was most precious. Maybe in Abraham's mind, God was asking him to give him everything. You see, God once asked Abraham to sacrifice his, his son, his precious, beloved son Isaac. And God asks us to raise our knife to our dearest and most loved idols. He is staggeringly bright. God is staggeringly bright. And maybe the first, our first instinct when we see something bright, maybe it's to turn away from that. And sadly, that's what most people do with Jesus. They get a glimpse of him and they turn away. They squint and they turn back to their 40-watt light bulb. So I urge you this morning to surrender and to trust because he is good. Look at him. Stay. Don't look away. And what this means is that we must take time and make time and linger in looking at Christ in his word. Linger in looking at Christ in his word. And then as we see the glory of Christ revealed in the new covenant, then we will want his glory to be revealed in us and through us to others around us. Would you pray with me now and ask that the Lord would do that? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray you'd forgive us for often we turn to find satisfaction and joy in fleeting things. And the glory of those things, they fade. They give us joy for a moment, but they don't last. Pray you'd help each one of us here to find our greatest joy in Jesus. And Lord, may we come to experience more and more of his glory. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would change us, make us more and more into the likeness of Jesus and shine out your glory through us to those around us. And Lord God, we pray that you do this for the honour of our Lord Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen.